Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. Excited as always to have you here with us for the crowning jewel in our Snow White Tiara of a series. It's what we've all been waiting for. It's a metaphor and what we've all been waiting for. And I I actually am excited because so many times in this series have we just totally tricked everyone by not telling Snow White tale types. Yeah. By, you know what I mean? Yes, like, I do. Even though they all relate to, and like going back to the Trojan War, and it's like, wait a minute, what are we talking about this for? You know, and it's been a delight, all of it. I've enjoyed every single one of these episodes. They've all been fantastic. But so many times we've been like, hey, you thought we were going to talk about Snow White? Guess what? Nope, we're not. But it's important, and it'll all come together when we finally get there. In this our final episode. And so I'm excited to see it all come together and be this beautiful shining tiara that we can place upon the head of our frog and bird mascots. But before we get into this episode, we have, as always, something else to talk about. Because we can never get right into the episode. That would just be unbecoming of us. Yeah. But this is quick. We have a super cool, exciting announcement that we have reached a really fun and exciting milestone for us. 200,000 total downloads of the Fairy Tellers podcast over almost 100 episodes and four years of recording. And it feels great, especially since I assumed from the start of this podcast that we'd basically be speaking into the dark, endless void of the internet and no one but maybe our mothers would be listening to anything that we had to say. And that has turned out to not be the case. So thank you so much because it's all because of you. I know we've said it before on the podcast, but it's seriously, it's so wonderful that we have so many supportive people, both like in our lives and the listeners that are out there. We are so grateful that we've been able to do this and reach so many people. Jeff and I both have a passion for other cultures, for understanding people better, for uniting each other and like a shared love of just the the beauty that humans create. And this has been just such an amazing experience getting to appreciate the beauty in so many different cultures and like throughout time and to share with other people and just feeling so connected to the world. And so just thank you to everybody who has either listened to every single episode or just as picking out the ones that they are the most interested in listening to. We appreciate every single download and every single listener out there. And in honor of this milestone, and because we were going to do this tale anyway, (laughs) we're finally going to be retelling the Brothers Grimm's Snow White. And I am calling it the Brothers Grimm's Snow White. And we'll get into that in a minute. The minute is now. (laughs) That was the fastest minute of my life. So we have been building to this episode all year. And I thought that I would give us a recap of what we've been discussing and which episodes we reference. So that in case you clicked on this episode thinking today, oh, that one looks interesting. I want to hear what they think about Snow White. 
uh, but you haven't listened to any other episodes, hopefully you will pause now and then go back to these episodes that I'm about to tell you about. But if you don't want to go back and listen to all of them, which is a mistake, you'll still kind of get a good sense of what we've been building towards. But more importantly, for people who have been here throughout the entire series that we've been doing, I wanted to give a quick recap because it's been a lot. Yeah, it's been a lot. And it's been like over a long period of time. So I just want to make sure that we like all mentally remember the things uh, that we talked about throughout the year. Yeah. And not to mention like a depth and breadth of information, like going back again to the Trojan War and like Greek mythology that's thousands of years old. That's where our story begins. So it's like, I think this is necessary, warranted, and will be fun and entertaining because I went back and listened to these episodes in preparation for today's recording. And I thoroughly enjoyed them and feel like I learned something new, even though technically I learned those new things months ago, the first time that we recorded the episode and probably then again when I listened to it. And then again now as you recap it and then I'll learn finally today that I never learn. I just forget (laughs) everything after seven seconds like a goldfish. No, that's what I I feel like I have forgotten more fairy tales than most people have ever read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That I bet that's true for both of us. Yeah. So the first episode of our series was our first episode of the year. And it was the Apple of Discord, the Trojan War, episode 84. Such a fun episode. Yep. Loved it. So in that episode, we discussed apples and contests and comparisons of women and their beauty. And we also talked about the idea of people trying to escape their fate or escape Mm -hmm. death by being hidden away by other people. And yet fate will eventually catch up with you. Yeah, because you can't escape fate. That's what fate's all about. If there's a a prophecy that comes and says, hey, this thing's fated to happen, and then your reaction is, oh, we got to avoid this by doing this specific action, that specific action that was triggered by you hearing the fate was part of fate's plan all along. And they're trying to get you to do exactly what they would need you to do in order for this prophecy to come to pass. So you got played like a fiddle, my friend. Yep. You you can't hide your son with a shepherd thinking that he's not going to destroy your entire kingdom. Oh, he will. And how. (laughs) And how. So we took the full opportunity of that episode to retell the Trojan War story because uh, since we were already retelling how the war gets started with that ill-fated apple, we thought we should tell you how this story shakes out. So what was also interesting about that episode is... Starting us off with this idea that became kind of a running theme that people noticed throughout the series, which was that when you are studying Western European fairy tales, you are going to need to have some kind of working knowledge of Greco-Roman mythology. Mm-hmm. They The elements from it are saturated throughout the fairy tales. And again, that was something... That was very obvious. Every collection, every story that, like, you know, we went through to tell this. Especially our boy, Jean-Baptiste Basile. Oh, my goodness. Man was obsessed with Greek and Roman mythology. To the point that every time something happened that he would describe in the fairy tale that I was like, I don't understand what this is a reference to. I just assumed. Yeah. (laughs) Correctly. That it was some obscure piece of Greek or Roman mythology, history, 
or folklore. Man was obsessed. You just reminded me about that woman when she um, raised her stage curtain to show a woodsy scene. <laughs> and I had to like pause and explain <laughs> the history of that story. <laughs> so many of the episodes that we did throughout the year included some smaller tales from the Greco-Roman mythology that somehow were mixed in little by little to the story that we had. So this one was like the the Trojan War was an entire episode because it was like massive. But there were other smaller tales that ended up sprinkled throughout the series because they're everywhere. <laughs> so the next episode in the series was The Lay of Iliduc by Marie de France. That was episode 86. So in this episode, we were setting up several elements from the Snow White tale that we would be seeing. So Marie de France was a literary woman of mystery in the 12th century, who is actually a great example of how well the Greco-Roman mythologies had mingled into the minds of the literate and then trickled down into tales of everyday people. Because of course, people who were literate were reading and studying these things. Some of that would get passed on, whether in in part or in iconography, in other tales that were being spoken aloud, and they filtered down into other people. And you could see that in Marie de France's work. And since she's this medieval poet, we can see kind of time traveling through and how stories were traveling through time as well. And while keeping the themes of the day of Christianity and courtly love, the tale showed us our first dormant heroine who seemingly falls down dead when learning of her lover's lies. Mm -hmm. She had a couple of very important items in her possession. Did you want to remind everybody what those were? A girdle slash scarf and a golden ring. So this was the point where we started to kind of just like keep track of like items that show back up in other stories. And so I was kind of like, oh, remember these items. So we're trying to keep track of like kind of different items that cycle back through the tales. And so our main heroine in the lay of Iliduke was given a girdle slash sash and a ring. And those were little items where it was like, oh, keep that in mind. So after falling down seemingly dead, she's taken to a special resting place in the wood and magically stayed preserved in her beauty, even in death. And she ends up being restored to the world of the living by a very surprising source. I'm trying not to give away too many details so that if people haven't heard it yet, they can go back and re-listen to the episode. <laughs> this tale also almost gives us our first helper in the woods, R.I.P. to the Holy Hermit, gone but not forgotten. You say that, but until you just reminded me that he was in those tales, I did totally forget <laughs> that uh, the Holy Hermit was even a thing. He became like this like running joke like throughout the years. Holy hermits and hags and crags. It was so funny because in the episode, it's like he's the 
the lover was going to hide this like woman's body or get help from this like holy hermit, but the hermit's already dead in the story. Uh-huh. And it was like, okay, never mind. One of the most important reasons for us retelling the lay of Eliduke is to give extra context to our next episode in the series, which was episode 88, Gold Tree and Silver Tree. In this episode, we retell the first true Snow White tail type of the series, which is, in case people were wondering, tail type 709 in the ATU index. And in this episode, we also retell two different versions. Both of these tales had polygamist relationships, which was a shock to the collector Joseph Jacobs, who could not imagine how this tale could have found its way to Western Europe, which again was the reason why we had done the Lay of Ely Duke first, because it would give context to what Joseph Jacobs thought was like an absolute, he couldn't even like comprehend in the 1800s what this, what this polygamous version was doing in Europe, but there was precedent for it. So speculate no longer, sir. (laughs) So in these tales, we go back to the apple of discord story and the theme of women comparing themselves to each other. To my delight, and I do want to emphasize this because I think it's important. In these tales, the problem between women is not the polyamorous or polygamist relationships. It comes from the women who are in the more delicate association with power or from supernatural forces causing jealousy. So in one instance, it's the mother's jealousy of her daughter. And in the other story, it's a stepmother driven to horrible acts by a fae spirit the hen wife, which we had also found out could also be the ghost of a fae, which is one of the most bonkers things <laughs> I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah. You think that if you're going to encounter something supernatural, it's either going to be a ghost or a fae, but you're never like, you know what? It could be the ghost of a fae. Yeah. Now you've suddenly made me, you, you have suddenly made me wonder this. If there are ghosts of like Bigfoot. <sighs> that would make for a really great movie. I don't know if there are for real or not. (laughs) Like, just the marketing has sold itself right there. You know what I mean? Like, everyone is going to go and see a movie called The Ghost of Bigfoot. (laughs) Yeah, everybody would want to go and see a movie of The Ghost of Bigfoot, right? Can you even imagine? I'm like, I'm being haunted by The Ghost of Bigfoot. (laughs) Love it. Try getting a picture of him now. That's the tagline for it. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on a sec. We got to go and uh, bust out a real beat sheet for this movie real quick. We'll be back. All right. This episode was one of my favorites that we've done all year. Yeah. Because the story, like Gold Tree and Silver Tree, which is a story that I ended up retelling in this, was such a delightful story in so many ways. Chief among them being the fact that, you know, there were these like two women who against, like you have pointed out, the expectations of a Snow White tale. We're not jealous of each other. We're not jealous of like the beauty of the other. So like you've got in Gold Tree and Silver Tree, the Gold Tree dies after marrying like this prince and he's super sad about it. And so he like is too sad to bury her or whatever. So he keeps her in his house, which sounds super creepy, but listen to the episode. It's less creepy in context. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say that with a straight face, like the dead, the dead wife that's kept in a room in the house yeah. is less creepy in context. 
But it is. Just because a man has a room in the house that he says, don't go in there, doesn't mean he's doing something nefarious. There's just a dead woman in there. <laughs> but in this case, it's super sweet. Like, so the guy, he gets, he ends up getting remarried. And then his new wife finds, you know, his old wife and is somehow able to bring her because of like the magicalness or whatever, like back to life. And he's like, oh my gosh, like she is so beautiful. I can see why my husband is so in love with her. And like, is just super supportive and is actually the one that like goes up against and like defeats the mother who's been the one that was killing Gold Tree multiple times actually throughout the story, yeah. you know, by like making her drink her own poison, which is like so beautiful. This whole thing of like the women that you would expect to be competing over, you know, like in a very stereotypical sense and what you maybe expect in Snow White, like competing for the love of like the man in the story are actually just like super supportive of one another and super like loving to one another. And it was just so surprising and so different. And then also just the drama of the way the story plays out. So also in this episode, we have a character who's asked to help conceal a character fated to die, like in the story of the Apple of Discord. Paris is hidden by a shepherd. The king of Ireland's daughter is hidden by the cook to save her from cannibalism. Oh, again, be ready in today's episode for what we called in that one episode, optimistic cannibalism. (laughs) That's right, people. We're revisiting optimistic cannibalism. And we also see our first and still favorite helpers in the woods, a band of enchanted cats. Talking. Talking Christian cats. May we all be so lucky in our lives (laughs) to run into a band of cats when we most need them. And not to mention, this band of cats are not the only talking creatures that make an appearance in these stories. I would argue the even more interesting than talking cats as magical helpers in the woods is the magical trout in a well that is the way that the divination occurs as to which, you know, in the place of like the magic mirror, instead of like mirror, mirror on the wall, like who's the fairest one of all, like these really insecure women go and are like, hey, trout, am I hot or not? And then the trout's like, nope. And it's just absolutely one of my favorite things that I've ever heard about. And the fact that it's not unique to just one of these tales that appears in both and also is a whole thing. Like it is a thing of there being like a, a trout in a well that can tell you the future or divine things that you cannot know for yourself just made me feel like I lived in a much more magical and special world. Yeah, those magic fish were our kind of lead-in and introduction into the next episode that we did, Magic Mirrors and Divination, episode 91. And one of my favorite from this year, and also it was a favorite of our listeners, that was one of our most popular episodes this year so far. Interesting. It was a good one. It was a good one. And it was also where I first like really solidified the definition of the word divination in my mind because I'd always, it has come up in other episodes throughout and I can never wrap my head around like divination, like what you're saying, you're saying it's divination, but it doesn't sound like divination because in my mind, divination was always like seeing the future, predicting the future, divining yeah. the future. But really, and it was made sense to me through these magical trouts and wells, which is one of the reasons why I just absolutely love them. Divination doesn't necessarily have to do with seeing the future. Divination has to do with seeing and knowing things that are unseeable and unknowable to you. Either through the separation of like time, like you can't see the future because you're not there and you never will be. Well, I mean, you will be, but by the time you get there, it'll be the present. 
Don't get me started on time. It messes up my brain real bad. I read a book called uh, The Order of Time, and now I am just like, time doesn't exist. Time isn't real, but it is. But our perception of it is deeply flawed. And uh, anyway, that, I don't want to get started on it. But that's to say, so, it, you know, that's why you can divine the future because it's a place that you can't know or see. But it's also like you can't see every single woman in the world to know whether or not you are, in fact, the most beautiful or not. You can't see what's happening in another place because you're separated not through time, but through space. Yes. Divination is the acquiring of occult knowledge or hidden knowledge, including things unknown, such as, am I the fairest one of all? So in that episode, we talked all about magic mirrors and their purpose in the tales. Mirrors are tools of divination. So they're used for scrying and seeing beyond normal human sight. And mirrors are not present in many of the Snow White tales. And this is an example in fairy tales of how easily objects can be switched out when we realize that their function in a story is more important than their form. Mm -hmm. The function of the mirror in Snow White tales is the cultural association with divination. But in that episode, we talked about how different items can also have like double meanings. So the way that we see magic mirrors in like Snow White by Disney of a symbol of vanity, mm -hmm. that also is part of why a mirror is used in that story because we're using it as a divination tool, but also coding in the story our, our cultural feelings around narcissism, <laughs> which was, again, another Greco-Roman tale that found its way into our episodes, but also in areas where but like from stories before mirrors were a common everyday item, let alone culturally significant, the sun or the moon was used in the story in place of a magic mirror. And the dual meaning there was not just a tool for divination, but also an object that was imbued with the cultural significance of showing time and how we all will age. A beautiful young girl now will eventually become a mother, will eventually become an old woman. And so you see the sun and the moon in those stories there to remind us of the passage of time and as a tool of divination. So whether the item is a magic fish in a well or the all-knowing sun or in one tale, the god Apollo, what matters in the Snow White tale is that there is that item that is used for divination. And if it sneaks in other culturally relevant things as well, perfect. So also in that episode, we retold the tale Marula and the mother of Eros. And I want to point out one thing. It's kind of a, a thought that one of our listeners shared with me. In that tale that we talked about, we kept saying, oh, it's kind of weird that they keep referring to this woman as the mother of Eros, the mother of Eros, the mother of Eros, instead of saying like who that is, because it's, uh, it's Aphrodite, yeah. which is, again, a callback to the golden apples in the Apple of Discord. Uh -huh. And I mean, this is a Greek tale, so of course there's going to be callbacks. Yeah. 
But we kept saying in the episode, we're like, why aren't they just saying the name? Why aren't they just saying like who it is? And one of our listeners wrote in and said that the reason why they wouldn't have used her name inside that tale was because she was behaving badly. And to name her name in that tale would be to draw her attention. Because in a lot of cultures, if you say the name of like a god, you are calling their attention to you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're telling a story where a goddess is behaving badly and you're calling attention to the fact that you are saying her name and calling her out, then you're going to end up having the same fate <laughs> as Arachne, yeah. which yeah. she came up in another like another episode that is unrelated to the series, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, Aphrodite's going to show up and be like, hey, heard you were talking some crap. And then you're going to have a bad day after that, which was really interesting. And again, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast and getting kind of the interaction, which was not something that I anticipated and expected of our audience, of other people like, you know, in the folklore space, because we just keep learning things that we didn't know. And we can have these questions and asking them rhetorically to ourselves and then unexpectedly getting awesome and enlightening answers. Yeah. It's just an absolute delight. It's incredible. I'm so glad that, again, that we have listeners who listen to our episodes, but also who like interact with us and reach out to us and tell us things that, yeah, that we didn't know. So another quick little aside about that story or like a thing to mention before we launch into episode. So the items that the mother of Eros used on that, that heroine in that tale was an, a golden apple and a ring. So again, we get that ring magic item or item of significance that shows up in other tales being used there, Apple being used there, these elements being kind of like interchangeable throughout stories and like which everyone kind of makes the most sense for the tale that's being told. Mm -hmm. So our last episodes that were in this series were our Tale of Tale Part 1 and Part 2 episodes, episodes 94 and 95. And here is where we talked about the tricolors red, white, and black inside of Jean-Baptiste Bessile's The Tale of Tales, the Pentamaron. We picked out this frame story to retell, and the, the two stories that were inside it, because they are some of the first instances of the colors red, white, and black being named specifically to refer to a person, a woman of interest inside of a story. Interestingly, none of the black, white, red stories that we retold were the Snow White tale types. Even though inside, within the Tale of Tales, there is a Snow White tale type, and the one thing that I want to say, because we just briefly in that episode, The Tale of Tales, covered that story. And the one element that I want to point out before we start into this episode was the growing casket, where a young child who in the tale is like the Snow White, the dormant heroine, she dies as a child and is put into these caskets that grow with her. And that's an, a little thing keep in your mind for that. But the main point of doing that episode was to talk about the cultural significance of the colors red, white, and black. And we discussed at length how colors do not have inherent meaning within themselves. The meaning that colors have is placed there by the culture. And so it's important to look at how those colors are being used and how they're being 
kind of like hearkened back to throughout the tale. And at the end of the Tale of Tales part two, I read a quote and explained a quote from Maria Tatar's The Fairest of Them All, discussing how the Brothers Grimm might have been interested in the colors red, white, and black and seen them as the poetry of fairy tales because the German flag at the time, which they were trying to create a national identity around the the German identity Mm -hmm. with their tales, that their inclusion of that red, white, and black element might have been related somewhat to the flag of Germany at the time, which was something interesting to think about and um, definitely colors that are going to come up today and probably in the future. (laughs) They're in a lot of European tales. Absolutely. So now that we have recapped all of that, hopefully if you have not listened to those episodes, you're feeling inclined to go back and listen to some of those episodes. And if not, at least we're all caught up and hopefully have the important information that we need for today's episode. Because if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that one of the things that we like to do with our series, especially when we're pulling out one story like we did with Beauty and the Beast, is we like to make sure that we have a lot of cultural knowledge like around the whole building up of the tale before we um, examine and hear it. Just because... We all kind of know the Snow White story because we've seen it portrayed by Disney. We might not know the Grimm's Brothers version. And so it helps to have this like wide range of knowledge around it built up so that hopefully as we're retelling the tale, you'll get even more out of it than you normally would. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that this is the Grimm's Brothers Snow White story. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about literary fairy tales and folk tales and how sometimes there are tales that are very much in the in-between. Once they're being written down by an author, there is always some choice that is being made by the storyteller and the writer of how the story is going to be written down, how it's going to be recorded. And then some tales get a little more finessed than others. And this story of Snow White is one of the tales inside of the Brothers Grimm collections that is a little more finessed than others. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy quote by Maria Tatar from The Fairest of Them All to illustrate this point and to make it clear that, like, I am not making this up. This is actually... <laughs> research that is uh, things that have been noted by scholars in the field of folklore research. Children's stories and household tales published in two volumes in 1812 and 1815 was launched as a scholarly project. The brothers wanted to preserve a cultural heritage that was fast vanishing, and they alerted friends, family, and colleagues to their plan to collect folk tales and fairy tales, hoping for contributions and collaborations. For Snow White, the Grimms assembled multiple versions of the tale from their own social milieu and then turned their magic on it, making the story direct and intimate with an internal logic of its own. 
Taking baggy oral narratives as their point of departure, they smoothed out contradictions, filled in gaps, trimmed unnecessary, seemingly random details, and cast the whole in what became a highly appealing and readable fairy tale style. Little Snow White gives us what is conventionally seen as the foundational, authoritative, and canonical story in cultures beyond the borders of German-speaking lands. In the commentary to that tale, the brothers suggest that they were indeed trying to create a standard version, but far from trying to excavate the true version of Snow White, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm hoped to craft an authentic version true to the culture of the time from material given to them by multiple informants. Facing an overload of source material and discovering many competing narratives, even in the relatively circumscribed Hessian locale, which happened to have a rich trove of folkloric resources, they decided to write what is, in the final analysis, their own story. Mm. So essentially what happened is that there were a lot of Snow White tale types or Snow White tale parts that they had. Mm -hmm. And so what they decided to do was try to create a story that altogether made sense, beginning, middle, and end, that combined pieces from multiple different versions and then excluded others. And not only did they do that, but as the years went on in other editions that were published, we've talked about before that like in some of their tales, they would um, take out some graphic elements or take out some like more pagan elements and they would try to add more Christianity back into it, take out some of the violence, take out some of the um, sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so we already know that they do a fair bit of editing. Or One of the most important and most documented edits of this tale that they made from version to version was that they purposefully made the evil queen of the tale the stepmother. She started off in the tale that they first wrote down mm -hmm. as the mother. Interesting. It's not the first time, like, you know, that we've seen yeah. a Snow White tale type, you know, that had the mother because we, you know, had another episode that it was yeah. the mother who. The gold tree, silver tree. Yeah, exactly. It was just of note because the Grimm's brothers did this in several different stories where they. In the first edition, if there was a mother that did something evil, mm -hmm. they would then go back in later editions and make it a stepmother. One of the things that they also did in the version that is the later versions of the Snow White tale is they took out the father. You'll notice mm. inside of the tale that we have that, you know, obviously there is a father because the mother, the, the stepmom, you know, she has to be married yeah. to somebody to be a stepmom, right? Right. Yeah. But the father is noticeably absent throughout the tale so that you don't get to examine some of the choices that he could have made to help his child. Even though mm -hmm. in other versions of the source material that they had, there were versions where the father had a bigger role in the story. Mm -hmm. And Interesting. so as we're retelling the tale today, we're actually going to be adding some of these parts as kind of like alternate versions for people just to be aware of, to know about uh, for the fun of it. It might be a little interesting to know <laughs> what, you know, what the Grimm's brothers decided not 
to include in their tale, even oh, yeah. though it still exists in the source material. I'm excited. I find that fascinating, those changes that they made. And so I'm excited to see what they are as we go throughout the tale. So to give you a little taste of the little narrative pieces that the Brothers Grimm had to work with, Jeff is going to be retelling a very short little story that would fall into the Snow White category of tales that they were uh, looking at and working with for inspiration for this tale. Yeah, this is hilarious. I think there needs to be a short film made of this version of Snow White. So once there lived a count and a countess, and they were driving in a carriage past three mountains of pure white snow. And the count said, Oh, I wish I had a little girl as white as this snow. And they traveled on a little further. And then they passed by three pools filled with red blood. And the count made yet another wish. Yeah, I'm horrified by the world building of this like <laughs> story. It was like, you're driving by three pools filled with blood. And instead of being like horrified and shocked, you're like, just like, where did these pools of blood come from? Yeah. I don't, in this world, pools of blood just exist and it's not a thing. And that- It's not a cause for concern. That horrifies me. It's fine. The the appropriate response in this world to seeing three pools filled with red blood is for the count to, he sigh a heavy sigh yet again. <sighs> if only I had a little girl with cheeks as red as this blood. Then, not so much later on, three black ravens that were black as coal flew overhead and the count yet again- wished for a little girl, this time one with hair as black as the ravens. And finally, as they're driving along in their carriage, they meet a girl who is as white as snow, with cheeks as red as blood, and hair as black as the ravens, and her name was Snow White. And so the Count was like, just the girl I've been looking for, and so he invites her to take a seat inside of their coach. But the Countess, who is riding along with them, did not care much for this girl, so she took off... (laughs) So she takes off one of her gloves and drops it outside of the carriage and asks Snow White kindly, um, would you please pick that up for me? And so when Snow White climbs out of the carriage, <laughs> the carriage takes off at high speed, leaving Snow White in the dust. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so, yeah, there there were bits like that, just these like short little stories that were part of, you know, this this whole system of tales. Or they were part of these narratives that the Brothers Grimm had received, and then they had to try to decide what was worth putting in the book that they were creating and like uh-huh. what wasn't worth it. Or what stories were so similar to each other that you could mush them together to make one? Or at what point do you have so many bits of different ones that you say, I'm keeping this, I'm chucking this? Yeah. Which... You know, of course, they're creating this scholarly work and they're trying to narrow it down to create something that is readable, something that they feel really shows, you know, the national identity. Mm -hmm. But now I will take us into the version that most people will be able to most readily find if they look up the complete fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm. And this one is the version that is translated and with an introduction by Jack Zipes. I wouldn't say that this is the version that people are the most familiar with, because I do think that the version that people are the most familiar with is the Disney version of Snow White. Right. When we did our Cinderella series, 
we talked about how the Disney version of Cinderella is the Charles mm-hmm. Perrault version. Yeah. And so like point for point, beat for beat, like that's the the version. And so when people are like, oh, well, Disney really toned it down or they changed a lot to this story. They didn't. They did not. It's the Charles Perrault version. It says it at the beginning of their <laughs> of, of the movie. Like the credits. Yeah, in the beginning credits, it says exactly uh, what it's doing. But the Disney version of Snow White does change a lot of stuff um, to make it a full-length feature film, to make it into a love story where it's really not. And so the Disney version that you are the most familiar with, it's Disney's own creation. It is not any specific version. So maybe some of this will be uh, new and hopefully all of it will be fun. So this story starts off in a way that we don't normally that we don't normally start stories off on this podcast, even though, you know, that'd be quite surprising for a fairy tale podcast. But here we are with Once Upon a Time. Yes. Once Upon a Time, in the middle of winter, snowflakes are fluttering down from the sky, and there is a queen who is sitting in a chair, rocking back and forth, sewing. And she's looking out the window at the snow, and the window is framed with a black ebony frame. So you've got that nice contrast between black and white that she's looking at. And she keeps looking out of the window through that black ebony frame at the snow. And she's not really paying attention to the sewing that she's doing. And she accidentally pricks her finger with the needle. And three drops of blood fall onto the snow. Which makes me wonder, is this window open? (laughs) Which actually, listen, as a person who has been really, really sick while they're pregnant. There was one time when I was just feeling so warm and uncomfortable and it started snowing outside and I was standing outside in my pajamas without like any shoes on, just standing at the porch and it felt so good. So, you know what? (laughs) Maybe this queen does have the window open, but when it was like the blood fell onto the snow, I was like, how? How? (laughs) What in the world? And then I do love that it's three drops of blood because three mm-hmm. of course but anyway the red looks so beautiful on the white snow that she thought to herself if only i had a child as white as snow as red as blood and as black as the wood of the window frame and again absolutely love immediately what comes to mind as she says that is you know blood dripping into ricotta cheese because <laughs> um of course the only thing abundant and red is uh, blood. So often it's blood. But anyway, very soon afterwards, she gives birth to a little girl who, obviously, is as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as ebony. And it specifies that the hair is as black as ebony. Later on in the story, it specifies that the red is the cheeks, and the white, Mm. we're left to assume, is the rest of her skin. Even though people have pointed out that In the story, it never says that her skin is white as snow. But I argue that, like, yeah, I feel like it's inferred because what else Uh, is her teeth going to be her teeth as white (laughs) as. And again, we talked about like these elements of like the the colors aren't found throughout the Snow White Tales in the of all the world. Right. And so 
I, it's but we also pointed important. out how there are stories of these three colors, and in other stories that potentially could have inspired the stories that became Snow White, or at least inspired the Brothers Grimm, yeah. like the Jean Baptiste Basile story, where it is very explicit that the white is the white skin of the woman yeah. in question in those stories. Indeed, and so it's like it's not said explicitly in this story, but I feel like. There are often in, in stories you will find that people of that time will make quick references to something and they won't be explicit about it when they think that it is apparent. Yeah. And so, yes, even though this doesn't say skin as white as snow, I do think that it's, it's unsaid because it's apparent what it means. But yeah. if people do want to argue, there are people who will be in agreement with you that it, it doesn't say that and that... People who force that into the story, force the white skin into the story, are doing it unnecessarily. So mm -hmm. I will just, uh, yeah. So just so that people know, you know, kind of like what opinions and stuff are out there and what conversations are being had about like the different elements of the story. So since the child was born with all of these qualities, they were named Snow White. And here is a sentence that was added in 1819 by the Grimm's that is not present in any of the other versions. Mm. And right after she was born, the queen died. That is something that was added specifically in the 1819 version to help move the bad guy in the story, the villain of the story, from being the mother to being a stepmother. Because then, a year passes and the king marries another woman who is beautiful, but proud and haughty. Another interesting thing about changing the villain mm -hmm. or changing this person is like, because at least in the way that this story is going, the woman is wishing for this child. Mm -hmm. Like she wants this child so badly and she gets what she wants. So it's kind of like, why then? I mean, it is interesting. It's like not changing it. There's something interesting about like what what changes in that the fact that she got the child that she wanted, then how does she then go about, you know, how does she get to the point where she's feeling this jealousy and do, you know, like yeah. she wanted this child so badly, but now she's like actively working against the best interests of the child. Like there is something interesting and complex about that character being all the same, yeah. but it simplifies it to make them different. Yeah. Because like we've seen in other versions, sometimes if it, it like if it is the mother, then what is kind of like, it, then it does become specified that like, oh, this daughter is more beautiful than me. Or like as yeah. she's getting older, the trout stops saying that I'm the most beautiful person. Or in the case of the other story, they explain why a stepmother would be jealous of her daughter by yeah. having it be a fey ghost. Mm -hmm. um, and then in Marula, the person who is like doing things against her is Aphrodite instead yeah and so it's like a supernatural reason that like these things are yeah. happening and so yeah it is like wait well what would be the logical reason why this mother would be angry at her daughter except that she's just jealous that her that she's aging that she's getting older mm -hmm. and the mirror reflects that yeah and her daughter is getting to be young but we'll even see like in this story, being young and beautiful, she's not that old mm. in the story. And so, yeah, it just does become this question of like, wait, but why would the mother be jealous? That question needs to be answered. And the question is more easily answered by 
making it a stepmother. But anyway, after about a year of her mother being dead, the king remarries a beautiful woman who is really stuck up and is awful and is evil. And it is, it's not expressly said, but it is implied. Again, it's one of those things that it's like, it's apparent, even if it's not stated. This woman is a witch. This woman is doing mm. witchcraft type things. And so there's like something evil about her, even though she is diabolically beautiful. So this woman, when she came into the castle, came with a magic mirror. And she would oftentimes be in front of this magic mirror saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this realm is the fairest of all? Classic. (laughs) And it harkens back to Apple of Discord when that apple gets thrown into the mix and it says, to the most beautiful or to the fairest, which is a direct, uh, a direct uh, Greco-Roman callback. So the mirror normally would answer, you, my queen, are the fairest of all, which that's also what my mirror tells me. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whose mirror is right, but it's probably mine. So <laughs> I'm going to cut all of that. Anyway, so the story says that the reply from her mirror would make her feel content because she, quote, knew the mirror always told the truth. Uh Uh-oh. So in the meantime, as the years passed, Snow White grew up, became older, and every day that passed, she became more and more beautiful. And it says in the story, by the time she was seven years old, She was as beautiful as the day is clear and more beautiful than the queen herself. So again, she's Hmm. seven years old. Yeah, that's kind of like, it feels like a different kind of beauty than you would expect for a grown woman to be jealous of. And that's why the lenses that people look at this story matter a lot. Because when people look at it through kind of this like psychosexual lens... There's a lot of people who are saying like, oh, this is a story that is possibly like about incest. Mm -hmm. Like it makes it very, very sinister because it's making it sound like this little girl is a rival for the queen in a sexual way. When what I think that it is, is it's about a proximity to power issue Mm -hmm. where Women of this time period, the only thing that they had to associate themselves with power is the person that they were married to. Mm -hmm. And if there is somebody that could somehow take away any of that power from them, then that becomes a problem. Women are only in competition with each other when they're competing for a limited resource. And at the time... Mm -hmm that limited resource was the proximity to power that they could get from like a man. And so they had to compete for a man. Yeah. And I'm not saying sexually. Right. But it's like at seven years old, a child is old enough to like start like exerting themselves and their personalities, you know what I mean? Like communicating their wants, you know? And it's like someone's biological child that they love and adore versus, you know, I mean, someone that they chose to marry and be with. I mean, there's definitely like 
something there, but it's kind of like, you know, blood is thicker than water yeah. kind of a sort of thing. Like who is she, who is he going to pick when it comes down to it? Like me or like his own daughter, yeah. you know, especially when it comes to like riches as his daughter gets older, it's not like, Oh, she's so beautiful. I'm going to hook up with her. It's I'm a King. I need to get her married off to somebody like of greater or equal power to me. Yeah. And also offer like a dowry for like, that's going to go with my daughter. There's a chunk of money or possibly land that's going to leave with this child. Right. And so it is a lot more about like the affections of this dad for his daughter and what he will give to her, which means less for the person that he's married to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, blood is thicker than water of like, this is his blood child. She's just a lady, but yeah. this is his like only daughter. And I feel like by this girl being seven years old, I feel like it makes it a, a not a sexual thing. Oh, yeah. But uh, then other people will see it as a much more sinister sexual thing. Oh, yeah. Especially because it is. Again, looking into the mirror saying, who is the fairest of them all? It's about beauty. Because for a lot of women, getting getting to that power, getting a man, was about youth and beauty. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of the situation. And so even though it's about like talking about beauty and there's that kind of sexual and attraction component to the element of beauty and getting to like that power, I don't see it as a, a necessarily a direct line that like the dad is the person that's going to be sexually attracted to a seven-year-old daughter. Yeah, yeah. But if you would like to read that into the story, you can. I can't stop you. <laughs> That's Do with true. that information what you will, people. <laughs> so anyway, when Snow White was seven years old, uh, the queen looked into this magic occult divination scrying mirror <laughs> um, and said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this realm is the fairest of all? And the mirror answered, you, my queen, may have beauty quite rare, but Snow White is a thousand times more fair. Which I'm like, Ooh. hey. Thank you. Thank you for the rhyme. But also, like, I don't think you have to rub it in so hard. The, the mirror. Yeah, a thousand, a thousand times. times more. It's like she's a skosh more fair than you are. No, it's like a thousand times. It's like it's not even close, lady. You, my queen, may have beauty quite rare, but Snow White is a scotch <laughs> more fair. Can you imagine? That? He's like just a bit like just a. The, mm, just you just know, just ever so slightly edging, edging you out there. Is a little face, you know. That's yeah. what you know. Just tips it over the yeah. edge. Otherwise, neck and neck. yeah, personality but no, wise, a thousand like, times more. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, hey, mirror, can you maybe see a little bit into the future and tell that like your words are going to be somewhat <laughs> damaging? <laughs> but no, it's a lot like AI. Apparently, we're like it's uh, it might be. It might have knowledge, but that doesn't make it wise. Yeah. Like, oh, it's yeah. what you do with this knowledge, Magic Mirror. Just because you can see uh, this occult knowledge doesn't mean that you should be um, blabbing it around in front of people who are going to take it badly. That's, mm. uh, that's just my two cents in how mirrors should think about their actions. Take responsibility. So, speaking of color words, at hearing this from the Magic Mirror, the Queen became yellow and green with envy. Oh. 
I was like, yellow and green, green with, green envy. with envy? Yeah. Dang, girl. It's not a good look. <laughs> so so envious she got jaundice. And then threw up. <laughs> so from that very moment on, the queen became more and more filled with hatred and rage towards, again, a seven-year-old. So, so finally, she summoned a huntsman and said, Take the child out into the forest. I never want to lay eyes on her again. You are to kill her and to bring me back her lungs and liver as proof of your deed. So now we have this huntsman who is being asked to go and kill this child. We will see what he does instead to try to, quote unquote, save her from her fate. Yeah, and it's like we're getting some reflections of Gold Tree, Silver Tree, because that was the same thing. She said that she wanted to, like, eat the kid's liver or kidney or something yep. like that. We're about, to, we're about to get into it, guys. Optimistic cannibalism. Because <laughs> it's funny where it's like, as like a trigger warning, I'm like, it's not cannibalism. Because they don't get what they want. But it's still upsetting that they think they're getting what they want. And they're happily yeah. eating it anyway. So anyway, the huntsman immediately hopped to obedience. And people might notice at this point that the king has actually kind of disappeared from the narrative altogether, Mm -hmm. which, again, was a choice by the Brothers Grimm. And there are versions, as we get like later on, I'm going to be telling you some little things of things that they decided not to include. So the huntsman obeys the queen, and takes Snow White, a seven-year-old child, out into the forest, and he's about to stab her with a hunting knife when Snow White starts to cry, because of course she's crying. She is, again, a seven-year-old child being dragged out into the woods by this crazy man who's Uh got a knife. I would also be crying. But she says... Oh, dear huntsman, spare my life, and I'll run into the wild forest and never come home again. And it, it says, as his reason for not doing this, since she was so beautiful, the huntsman took pity on her and said, hmm. you're free to go, my poor child. Which I'm like, her cuteness should not be what stops you from murdering a child and cutting out her innards. Yeah. That's 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 a personal thing for me, I guess. I <laughs> And it's like uh, her cuteness was readily apparent when he was full on ready to stab her with a knife, too. So it's like, was it really her cuteness that stopped you? Or is it like the cute way that she begged for her life? It's adorable. (laughs) I love how cute kids are when they're begging for their life. Gosh, what a dark sentence to be uttered on this, the silliest podcast I listen to. This is not a true crime podcast. (laughs) It's a fake crimes, but it's a it's a folkloric crimes podcast. Uh, there are a lot of crimes. There are so many crimes on this podcast. So speaking of dark sentences uh, to be uttered in the story, you know, as he's saying like, oh, like you're free to go, my poor child. And then this sentence, then he thought the wild beasts will soon eat you up. Nevertheless, he felt as if a great weight had been lifted off his mind. <laughs> it's like, well. Look, it's fine that I let her go because she's going to get murdered by some sort of wild creature anyway. But at least I'm not the one that has to have the guilt of her murder weighing on my conscience. So it's a good day. I can go home feeling proud of myself and my actions. This is a win-win situation. You know what? When I think about it, I'm a pretty decent guy. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. And then he went home to his wife and children. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, it does not say that. So at that point, a wild boar comes out leaping like in front of him. So he stabs the wild boar and cuts out its liver and its lungs. And he brings them back to the castle to present to the queen as like evidence that he committed murder for her. Mm -hmm. And the cook was soon ordered to boil up those items with some salt so that the queen could eat them. And it says... She ate them and thought that she had eaten Snow White's lungs and liver. And the reason why the cannibalism is in there, or in our case, the optimistic cannibalism, Mm -hmm. is again one of these things that's to show that this woman is a witch. She's, you know, using this magic mirror for divination, which is witchcraft. And now Mm -hmm. she is cannibalizing, which is traditionally a... Uh, an act that witches are associated with doing, but also the items that she is eating, the lungs and the liver are supposed to help her have that child's beauty. So, Hmm, so now instead of it being a thing where she's jealous just of like this child's beauty, what she's looking at is, Oh, somebody who can help to retrieve her lost youth and her and like rejuvenate her body through a mm. magic spell. And so yeah. again, it becomes like it's not about like even like a sexual jealousy. It's noticing, oh, these are qualities that this kid has. And if I eat them, like if I consume them, I will yeah. get those qualities. And it's not just me saying this. Again, sometimes when I say some of the more like <laughs> bombastic theories or whatever, I want to make sure that uh-huh. like I have another source that's like backing me up because like, who am I? I'm just a lady shouting on a podcast on the internet. But Maria Tatar says the entrails are meant to be more than mere evidence the queen longs to augment her own beauty by ingesting her rival and in a ghoulish touch seasons what she believes to be the innards with salt why is it ghoulish to be seasoning them with salt does it make it you know a little more palatable (laughs) i think the fact that it's like not all yeah that it's uh, what's ghoulish about it is like not only is she going to eat them but also she wants it to be a pleasurable experience to enjoy it yeah i see that now because like you know it's like witchcraft to eat them and it's like this spell and it's like oh like so you know you know you're drinking your potion and it tastes like you know essence of crab and goyle like the (laughs) uh the polyjuice potion in harry potter you know it's like it tastes bad but it's like that's not the point the point is not the flavor but this is like i'm doing a spell but you know what like why can't I just like make this into not just a magic spell, but also a culinary adventure? Yeah. That is, you know, it is ghoulish to be like, I'm going to do this, not just because it's necessary and gets me what I want, but I'm also going to enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to find it delicious. Although I do want to point out that I love the like bait and switch on this one because she thinks that she's like absorbing the youth and beauty <laughs> of this the fairest of them all, seven-year-old girl. But in fact, she is absorbing absorbing the youth and beauty of a wild boar. That's so hot. I wonder if she like woke up the next morning with like a little bit of chest hair and she was like, what the heck? (laughs) What's going on? Did that little girl have chest hair? Was it also a boar in Gold Tree and Silver Tree? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember what animal it was. It was interesting when you said a boar this time, because I think of like, if there's anything I learned from Mythbusters, it's that you know, uh, a pig carcass is often used as an analog for a human carcass. And I imagine maybe that's one of the reasons why it's a boar because they were like, maybe even back then because they were a lot more familiar with the organs of different animals that it was like, oh, you know what? Like a boar's 
lungs and liver look the most like a human's lungs and liver or something like that. I don't know. I'm probably reading way too much into this, but No, but that is interesting of like how much how much of the time when they were telling these tales did they know about like human anatomy versus animal anatomy? Yeah. Yeah, cuz I guess maybe they wouldn't have known very much about like the human anatomy, honestly. Like how often are you like cutting people up and looking at their organs? Probably not a lot. But I guess they knew that it was there too. So, like she knew that she had lungs and organs or lungs and liver to be eaten. Oh, it was so they had to have known something. In Gold Tree and Silver Tree, it was a he goat. That's right, a he goat, otherwise known as a billy goat, which we know because this <laughs> is an animal husbandry podcast. Perfect. I feel like you made me look that up just so that you could make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had totally forgotten about that, but I'm glad that we were also able to reincorporate that joke while reincorporating a reference to a previous episode. Indeed. But back to the tale at hand. So now we have this seven-year-old child who is alone in the woods. And so she's just wandering through the big forest. And I do love that it talks about how she's like looking at the leaves and the trees. And she's like terrified of, you know, kind of like the the things in the forest that she's like seeing in the dark. That she's kind of getting like spooked and freaked Mm -hmm. out. Just because um, that is kind of a a visual motif that happens uh, inside of the Disney movie. But we won't keep referencing the Disney movie in this episode. Uh, But anyway, I did love that that was like just something that was very much part, part of like the tale. So she started to run around uh, in terror and she was, you know, stepping on like sharp stones and running through thorn bushes and just getting like all kinds of cut up and thrashed up chest from, you know, it's, it's a rough, cruel world out there for a little yeah. seven-year-old that went from living in a palace to now being running through uh, the forest. But it says that while there were wild beasts that were running around her, darting around her, none of them harmed her. Which is, a, you know, kind of just like a little, like, magical nod, whether it's because they could sense her innocence or she was so beautiful that they were like, even the mm. animals didn't want to eat her. Unclear. Except that, you know, nothing wanted to harm her. So she ran and ran and ran as long as her little legs could carry her. And by evening, she found a little cottage in the woods and decided that she would go inside to rest. Mm. So when she went into this little cottage in the woods, everything was really, really small. Which, you know, is probably fine for a (laughs) seven-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally fine. It says everything inside was indescribably dainty and neat, which I thought was just interesting. So she looks at the little table and it has a tablecloth on it. And there are seven little plates set at this table with little forks and little knives and little spoons and little cups. And there's like a little bit of food on all of the plates. And a little bit of wine in all of the cups, which makes me wonder later on, like, who was, were they setting this stuff out before they would leave for work? Or was something, it doesn't seem like something magical was happening while they were gone that was causing this to, like, how, mm-hmm. listen, un, unclear. There's like, when we get back, we're going to be so hungry. We better set our food out before we leave so that we can just eat right away. When yeah, we that's get back. how you get bugs. Like Snow White. Oh. Yeah, but also it's like... <laughs> like uh you know when you kind of clean up around your house and you wash your sheets like right before you go on a vacation so like when you come back from vacation you get in your bed and you're like ah clean sheets feels so nice that's true i do do that (laughs) do do 
So anyway, she's looking at all these little things and she's thinking, oh, well, I'm really hungry and I'm really thirsty. And so she takes a bite out off of like each of the plates, not too much because she doesn't want it to clean off like any plate of like all of its food. So just like a bite from all the seven places and a sip of wine from like each one of the cups. Mm -hmm. And then she realizes that she's feeling rather sleepy. And I thought this was interesting. She looks at their seven little beds covered with sheets as white as snow, which I was Mm. like, oh, that's interesting. Just because of, you know, what story this is. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that we're, we're on the lookout for the, you know, these color words. Anyway, so now that she had had, you know, little something in her tummy to eat and some wine. She was feeling a little sleepy. And so she went over to these little beds. And here's a little interesting thing that I don't, uh, that I think will be unfamiliar to people from this story. So she climbs into one bed and it's too small. So she gets out and she gets into (laughs) another one. And that one is too short, too long, too soft, too hard. Are you serious? That's so funny. And at last, she found that the seventh one was just right. And if people don't Mm. know kind of what this sounds more like, I will tell you, it sounds very much like Goldilocks and the Three Bears in this, like, instant. And it's going to sound a little bit more like that in a minute. Oh, boy. So in the story, the Brothers Grimm make sure to write that she stayed in that seventh bed and said her prayers and fell asleep. Because again... When they were going back and like editing, they were always they were trying to make the stories more and more fit for children because that ended up being what their audience was. They set out to make a right. scholarly text and then realized that their main audience was like children. So the stories never fully made it into stories that should be told to children, but they realized that they were being told to children anyway. And that's usually what their editor's notes were encouraging them to switch things to. So of course. Of course, this sweet little girl says her prayers before she goes to sleep. So she fell asleep and the night came on and became darker and darker. And when it was completely dark outside, seven dwarves came from over the mountain back to their cottage. Mm. And they worked all day like dwarves do in the mountains, looking for diamonds and jewels and minerals with their picks and their shovels. So they are exhausted from their long day of working in the mountains. And it's interesting, too, to note that much like the number three, seven is a significant number as well. It's seen as like a a wholly complete number. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that these men are a band of seven, that they're this like group of seven. A wholly incomplete boy band requires there to be seven (laughs) members. Which is why Backstreet Boys and NSYNC both failed. That's that's true. That's just true. So when they got home, they lit their seven candles and the house lit up and they could tell that someone had been in their house (laughs) because none of the things were in the same spot that they had been when they had left them. And tell me that this dialogue is not straight from... The Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Who's been sitting in my chair? (laughs) This is the first dwarf. Who's been eating off my plate? Who's been eating my bread? Who's been eating my vegetables? Who's been using my fork? Who's been cutting with my knife? And who's been drinking from my cup? 
And then the littlest dwarf of all, just kidding. That would have been hilarious if it was like, like, and then the little baby dwarf said, somebody has been sleeping in my bed. But truly the first dwarf did turn around and look at the bed and notice that somebody had wrinkled up every single one of the beds until they got to the end of the, the row of beds in the seventh one where little Snow White was sleeping. So they thought that this little girl was so beautiful and so sweet laying there that they decided to just let her sleep. And it said that the seventh dwarf, whose bed was like being used, <laughs> uh, since he <laughs> was the only dissenting vote. <laughs> no, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, nah, actually, I think we should probably wake her up. No, he decided that he was going to spend one hour in each of the other people's like beds with them. So like <laughs> everybody had to like tolerate having like a bedmate all night, except that he had to tolerate it all night uh, instead of just like the hour or whatever. I'm like that system. That's a that's a there's a, some major flaws yeah. with that system because it's like you're you're interrupting people's sleep throughout the night and him like most of yeah. all like sharing with everyone but also like he has to wake up seven times in the night to like yeah. switch. So is like you're not getting some good you know sleep cycles in yeah. that way at no some way. point I would say like just grab something to use as like a blanket. Sleep on the floor. Sleep on the floor. That's what I would do. I don't know. Maybe he's like, oh, my back could never tolerate that. No. (laughs) He just wanted an excuse to snuggle his buddies. Oh, I love that. So in the morning, this little girl, Snow White, woke up. And at first, when she saw that she was surrounded by, you know, these seven dwarves, these strangers that she never met before, she was frightened, obviously. But Mm. Then they woke up and they were super, super friendly to her, which, yeah, she's a little seven-year-old girl who's lost in the woods and, you know, is having a tough time. Like, yeah, she's she's a figure that people could be empathetic towards. So they asked her, you know, what's your name? She's like, I'm Snow White. And they're like, why are you in our house? You know, the normal (laughs) questions that you would ask when, you know, some random kid shows up in your house and you're just kind of like, okay, Mm -hmm. so... What's going on, little buddy? So she ended up telling the dwarves all about, you know, her stepmother who had told the huntsman to take her out into the woods to kill her, but the huntsman spared her life. And then she got really scared and ran all day. I'm just like imagining like just a little kid telling this story and just being like, <laughs> and, then, and, and then I was running and I was scared. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear it. I have children. I, yeah, you do. You do indeed. I've never thought about eating your children. Thank you. You're welcome. So the dwarves told her, well, if you can stay at home while we're gone in the mines and the mountain all day, and you can help us, you know, do our chores and maybe cook and sew some of our old clothes, you know, patches on our old clothes and stuff like that. If, if you know how to do anything like that, then you can stay with us for as long as you need. Which, guys, this girl grew up as like a princess. And also, I don't know if you've ever had a seven-year-old try to help you clean your house. <laughs> and, you know, I know some people might read this story and they might think to themselves like, oh, they're making this woman do all the chores and the housework. That's not how I read this. I understand that you could read it that way. And you know what? I don't I don't live mm. back in the time. I know that kids were doing chores, more chores than my kids do, and harder, more complex chores. Like during this time period, like not 
the time period of the story because this is a, a long time once upon a time in a valley far far away or whatever. But at the time when the, the yeah, story yeah, yeah. was being written down, children were doing more and harder chores and they had like more responsibilities than we give kids now. But also, yeah. I want you to know that those seven-year-olds who were doing those chores were also probably doing a very bad job. Yeah. Have you guys ever watched a seven-year-old try to sweep a floor? I have. Yeah. Or wash dishes, or fold laundry, mm. or sew. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen a seven year old sew. I have not, but oh, actually, you know what? My my both my sons were being taught how to crochet today. Oh, and did they focus hard? Yes, they did. Did they do a good job on an objective level? No. So you know, when these men are making this deal, when these dwarves are making this deal with this small child, what I hear them saying is, "Sweetie." We still have to go to the mines to work. Can you please stay at the house? Just stay in the house and we will come home. And because obviously the house was already neat and clean before she got there. They established that in the story. Mm -hmm. They already had food and drink and stuff ready for them when they got home. Whatever system they had worked out was already worked out. What I'm seeing them say in this story is, hey, little girl. You can stay with us and maybe at home you can stay at the house and be safe. And she's like, okay. Because immediately after, you know, she tells them like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I can do that. That sounds great to me. They told her that since she was going to be alone in the house all day alone, that she needed to be aware that her stepmother might come looking for her, might be able to find her. And she is in danger. So she needs to stay in the house with the door closed. So, yeah, I'm like, what I'm hearing them say is not like, oh, this will really work out well for us because we'll have a very competent woman keeping house for us. No. What I hear is these guys are trying to, like, do the best they can by this little girl. And if you guys want to read something else into that story, you can. This is is my head canon. (laughs) So anyway. After it had been a while that the stepmother had been letting the the magic of those uh, lungs and liver percolate in her body, you know, working their magic on her, helping her regain her youth. So after Snow White had been gone for a little while, she went back to her magic mirror and she said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this realm is the fairest of all? And the mirror, once again, unhelpful. Mirror, just because you know something doesn't mean that you need to say it. Except that, you know, it probably did. It's magic, and I don't know how the spell works. But anyway, the mirror says, You, my queen, may have beauty quite rare, but beyond the mountains, where the seven dwarves dwell, Snow White is thriving, and this I must tell. Within this realm, she's still a thousand times more fair. Too many details. He's like, like, queen, you are beautiful, but also I have a GPS tracker on this small child and I can tell you her exact (laughs) coordinates. Oh, no. She's very much alive and way hotter than you will ever be. It's like, why did you do that? Anyway, it's fine. Obviously, the queen was horrified because she thought that she had had this child murdered so that she could acquire uh, the beauty. But alas, she knew that mm-hmm. the mirror was incapable of lying, which I, I wish yeah. was not the So she's truth. like, wait, whose youth and beauty am I acquiring? 
it's a wild boar. <laughs> I bet the mirror told her that too. It was like, and laughed. Yeah, I hope it. <laughs> so once she realized that she had been deceived by the huntsman, she immediately started to think about ways that she would be able to kill little Snow White. So she thought up a plan and she dressed herself up as an old peddler woman so that she could not be recognized. And it says that she painted her face. So like she's going, she's getting full stage makeup on to, to do yeah. this activity, which you know what, do what you got to do, I guess, except when do what you got to do is plot the murder <laughs> of a seven-year-old child. Right. If that's what you got to do, <laughs> don't, don't. don't, then don't do what you got to do. That's a little bit of free advice from us yeah. today. <laughs> this is a, a life and living podcast. So then the uh, evil queen crossed the seven mountains in her disguise. When I read that, that it was like seven mountains, I was like, dude, how long did this little girl run that day across seven mountains? Goodness gracious. Yeah, No wonder she was so tired. I'm tired just thinking about it. So when this evil queen got to the dwarf's house, she went and she knocked at the door and yelled out, Pretty wares for sale, pretty wares. I hope you enjoyed my voice. It was amazing. Beautiful. I so little little Snow White looked out of the window and she was like, oh, hello, dear old woman. Like she's just like being, you know, sweet and was like, oh, what are you selling? And the lady's like, oh, pretty things. Stay laces in all kinds of colors. So stay laces are like girdles. Or sashes, mm. which we will see again. So she pulled out these lace woven silks, all different colors, so that Snow White could look at them. And, you know, Snow White was like, oh, those are so pretty. And immediately she unlocked the door like a child. She unlocked the door so that she could get closer to look at all of these like laces. And the woman looked at this little girl and was like, oh, no, look, your clothes, they're all tattered and ripped up. Because, of course, they were. She'd gone running uh, for her life, you old witch. Uh, like, and she's like, oh, let me help you dress properly. And so, of course, Snow White, not suspecting anything, thinking that, like, everybody is so good and kind out in the woods, mm-hmm. went right over to this old woman who began to lace her up in this girdle and the old woman laced her up so quickly and so tightly that snow white lost her breath and fell down dead whoa that's not what i was expecting oh you weren't expecting them to take that sash and uh choke the life out of her no oh snow white was also not expecting it (laughs) so after this old lady chokes out this little girl Mm. and sees her laying there down dead she says you used to be the fairest in the realm, but not now. And then she rushed off. I noticed that this time she didn't try to, you know, like knife or cut her open to like get those uh, magic bits. Yeah. Maybe nothing happened with the wild boar and she realized like, oh, maybe that spell doesn't work. She's like, She's oh. like maybe I don't know that spell. And thank goodness, because I could have gotten, you know, the youth and beauty of uh, a wild boar. Yeah. But anyway, she just leaves her there and rushes off home. But. Pretty soon, the dwarves are coming home from their working out in the mountains. When they got near the house, they saw Snow White lying on the ground outside, dead. 
And they were absolutely horrified. And they ran over to her and they lifted her up and they realized that she had been laced up too tightly. And so they quickly cut the stay lace off of her. They cut the girdle right off of her. And at once she was able to start breathing again. And then she woke up and came back to life. And the dwarfs, you know, asked her, like, what happened? What what went on? And she told, well, an old peddler woman came by and they're like, sweetie, honey, no, that old peddler woman was your stepmother. We told you, you have to be careful. This lady is out to get you. You cannot trust anyone. Do not open the door next time, please. Like, we're begging of you. Like, we, we're trying to help you. And for whatever reason, one of them couldn't stay and, like, babysit her during the day. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean- there's a lot of work to be done. In I those know, but mines. maybe take your daughter to work day or something. Like, come on now. To the mines? Children yearn for the mines. <laughs> <laughs> in the mines, in the mines. <laughs> so, meanwhile, the evil queen, she goes across, you know, back over the seven mountains. All the way back to her house. And she's like, I did it, I did it, I did it. So she like gets inside the house and she goes over to her mirror. And she's like, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who in this realm is the fairest of all? And the mirror answers, you, my queen, may have beauty quite rare, but beyond the mountains where the seven dwarves dwell, Snow White is thriving. And this I must tell. Within this realm, she's still a thousand times more fair. So obviously the queen hearing this was not pleased. And she's like, okay. I've got to think of something else that I can do to kill this girl. So she whips up. It says by using all the witchcraft in her command. And this is the only point in the story where it explicitly says witchcraft. Mm. Yeah. Even though it has basically been implied throughout like the entire story that like this woman is a witch. Yeah. She is capable of doing like occult magic. Mm -hmm. She produces a poisoned comb. Uh Uh-oh. All right. So, once again, she has to disguise herself as an old woman and cross back over the seven mountains to get back to the cottage. And she knocks on the door and says, Pretty wares for sale, pretty wares. (laughs) And Snow White looks out of the window and (laughs) yells out, I'm so sorry, you have to go away. (laughs) I can't let anyone (laughs) inside. And, you know, the old woman replies, but surely you're allowed to look. Which, guys, no, don't do it. Makes more sense that she had to be a seven-year-old in this story. Yeah. Falling for the same trick twice. Yeah. Like, sweetie, it's just the same old woman in makeup. A lady that you used to live with. Come on, come on now. Anyway, so the old woman held up this beautiful comb through, so that, Snow White could see it like through the window and was like, oh, I just wanted to show you this. Don't you see how pretty it is? And, you know, Snow White like looked out of the window and she saw a beautiful, shiny object. And she is, again, a seven-year-old child looking at this like beautiful, shiny, decorative, poisoned comb. And is like, oh, mm-hmm. that is beautiful. And the old lady was like, well, now, shouldn't somebody comb your hair properly for once? And, you know, the little girl's like, oh, yeah, it has been a while. Because, you know, the dwarves probably weren't, you know, brushing her hair. And I don't know if you've ever seen a seven-year-old try to brush their hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, anyway, 
Without even giving it a second thought, Snow White goes over to the window and she, you know, kind of like sticks her hair out of the, her head and her hair kind of like out the window. So this old lady can rub this comb through her hair. And no sooner did the comb touch her hair than the poison began to take effect and the maiden fell to the ground and lay there unconscious. And now, once again, the evil queen is just like, aha, you were once beautiful and now you're dead suck it and then you know ran off back across the seven mountains back to the castle and since it was evening time the dwarves they came back home from working all day at the mines and when they came home and opened the door they found snow white lying on the ground as if she was dead so quickly they started examining her body because they suspected oh it was probably the stepmother again and you know it was probably you know another magical item so like let's look and see and they saw the comb the poison comb you know sticking in her hair and mm-hmm. they took it out and snow white instantly regained consciousness and then they asked her girl what happened And she told them again, you know, what happened? They're like, that is your stepmother. She is trying to kill you. I need you to not let her in. Don't do this. Which, you know, again, maybe somebody should be staying at home with a child. I don't know what their situation is. I'm judging them and I don't know what their situation is. That's rough. (laughs) But the queen, she returned home and she went to the mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who in this realm is the fairest of all? And the mirror answered, You, my queen, may have beauty quite rare, but beyond the mountains where the seven dwarfs dwell, Snow White is thriving, and this I must tell, within this realm she's still a thousand times more fair. And of course, when she heard this, she started shaking, and she was so mad and screaming, and (laughs) Snow White must die! Like, just fully, fully evil. And it says, Even if it costs me my own life, which is like, ma'am, pause. (laughs) rethink what are your goals (laughs) like if your goals are to be you know the most beautiful of them all or whatever really you have to kill her even if it kills you why you're just giving up the crown to like the third in line presumably even as again assuming you're actually second which i guess she would have she does have good reason to assume that she was second because she did used to be first and then she was like passed up i mean she could have fallen even further down the ranks but but, you know, she has some reason to believe that she Yeah, because, be like, you don't know, maybe some some other more beautiful people have moved into the realm recently. You know, yeah. you never know. <laughs> Not to mention, like, if Snow White is a thousand times more fair than her, like, what if there's right. somebody that's just 50 times more fair than her? Yeah. You know, yeah. Something, to think, something to think about. Right. But it does, she's she's gotten so... What's what's the right like saying or metaphor for this? But it's like she's gotten so dedicated to achieving her goal of killing Snow White that she's gotten herself can't see the forest for the trees. That's yeah. a good one. The tree in front of her is I need to kill Snow White. Yeah. The forest, what she actually wants to be seeing, what she wants to be getting is like is to be the fairest one of all. So she's like I'll do anything it takes to cut down this one tree of killing Snow White. Even if it means that I die, but then, you know, again, like you said, she's forgetting what the whole purpose of this is. What's the purpose of cutting down that tree? Yeah. So that you can be, be the fairest, fairest of all. But if you're dead, was it worth it? So the story says that the evil queen then went into a secret and solitary chamber where no one else ever <laughs> went. Which, again, if you've got secret rooms for doing nefarious witchcraft, you're probably a witch. Mm-hmm. Just saying. That's how you can tell. 
If you do your nefarious witchcraft in plain view of others, you might not be a witch. Yeah. But if you've got a whole room dedicated to doing it in secret, that's dedication and hence witchcraft. So once she was inside this secret chamber, she made a deadly poisonous apple. Shocking. Shocking. We all weren't expecting it. On the outside, it looked beautiful, white, with red cheeks. So it looks beautiful, just like Snow Snow White, White. which that's a really weird, that would be a weird looking apple. Yeah. It's all white, except it's got like two red spots like on it. Yeah, I would not eat that apple. Well, that's good. It said anyone who saw it would be enticed, but whoever took a bite was bound to die. (laughs) So anyway, once the poisoned apple was ready to do its poisoning, the queen got back into her costume and it says dressed herself up like a peasant woman. So not like Mm -hmm. a, like a peddler. So I, I guess she was like, oh, third time I need a new outfit. Gotta mix it up. She might be catching on. Yeah. Kill me once. Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) Kill me thrice. Shame on these dwarves for leaving her alone. (laughs) She's a a child. So anyway, Queen gets into her costume, dresses up, goes across the seven mountains, back to the land where the seven dwarves dwelled. And when she got over there, she knocked on the door And Snow White stuck her head out the window and is like, I'm not allowed to let anyone inside. The seven dwarves told me not to, which adorable. So obedient. And the old woman, the peasant woman, our dressed up queen, was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's all right with me. I'm just trying to get rid of my apples. I'm sure I'll find somebody who's willing to take them. But can I just leave you one as a gift? And Snow White was like, no, I'm not allowed to take anything from anyone anymore. (laughs) Like, yeah, for good reason, sweetie. (laughs) The old woman slash evil queen said, why? Are you afraid that it might be poisoned? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's so many things you could have said (laughs) to not give yourself away. Uh, Maybe it was like some really like reverse psychology. It was like, if it were poisoned, would I have drawn attention to the to the fact that it might be poison <laughs> of course not so no. it can't be poison obviously so she says look if you think that it's poisoned i'll cut the apple in two you eat the red part and i'll eat the white but the apple had been made with such cunning that only the red part was poisoned oh mm. that is that is cunning gotta give her that Gotta give her that. So Snow White was eager to eat the apple because it was so beautiful. Here's the thing. Maybe we shouldn't be so attracted to things that are so beautiful. Maybe we need to learn a lesson from this story. Maybe that's what got us into this trouble in the first place. Yeah. So Snow White watched this peasant woman eating her half of the apple. And then she was like, yeah. Obviously, it's fine. It's not going to hurt me. So she reached out her hand through the window, and she took the poisoned half. And no sooner had she taken a bite than she fell to the ground dead. And again, the queen looked at her and started to laugh. And she said, invoking the words of the birth mother, which, again, in the original story, this was her birth mother. 
White as snow, red as blood, black as ebony. This time the dwarfs won't be able to bring you back to life. And so it's like those same words like echoed here Mm -hmm. is like one of the like residual things that shows like that that same knowledge of like what the mother had desired yeah now is what the stepmother but the mother in the actual story was trying to right. then get rid of yeah so just interesting but she rushed all the way back home to her castle and looked into her mirror and said mirror mirror on the wall who in this realm is the fairest of all and the mirror finally gave her the answer that she wanted to hear. You, my queen, are now the fairest of all. And so finally, her jealous heart was satisfied as much as a jealous heart can be satisfied. Oh, which is not very much. Yeah, I was, I was like, I love that. Yeah, because the problems run deeper yeah. than that. Yeah. Lady, you got to work on yourself. This is a therapy intervention. <laughs> you need to look at your life. What have you become? She's like the fairest of them all. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I wanted. Duh. But at what cost? Snow White. No. <laughs> so when the dwarves came home, they found Snow White once again lying on the ground. And the dwarves looked all around her trying to figure out what the thing was because before all they had to do was cut the stay lace and she was let out or Mm -hmm. pull the poison comb from her hair. So it's like they were looking all on her body to see like what it could have been that's causing it, but they couldn't find anything on the outside of her body that was causing this, what causing her to be there dead. And when they couldn't find What was poisoning her? It says they unlaced her, combed her hair, washed her with water and wine, but it was to no avail. She was dead and she remained dead. And so they took her outside and they laid her on a burial mound. And all of them sat down and they cried and cried for three whole days. And they had intended to bury her, but none of them could bring themselves to do it. She was just too beautiful, too sweet, too lovely to be buried. Because she looked like she was so alive still with her pretty red cheeks. So again, Mm. there's like that call. And like we had that apple with its pretty red cheeks that poisoned her. And she's still sitting there, you know, laying there as if dead, but with these like pretty red cheeks. And so they decided what they would do is make a glass coffin so that she could always be seen and viewed from all angles which i think is just very weird there's like Mm -hmm. there's there's so much to be said for that of of objectifying this person who has died that Mm -hmm. definitely you know was not the conversation that was being had then when like this story was being written uh, and recorded down like this idea of like after somebody dies putting them on display, objectifying that like that, that wasn't like a conversation, but yeah. Interesting. And they wrote her name on the glass coffin in gold letters and added that she was a princess. So it was like princess snow white. And they carried the coffin to the top of a mountain and put it there. And every day, a 
dwarf was left to stay by her coffin, which, again... Could they not have left the dwarf to stay at the house to make sure this didn't happen in the first place? I mean, they learned their lesson too late is what happened. Exactly. We should have been doing this all along. So that's like their penance. They're like, okay, because we didn't do this when we should have, now we have to do it. Now that she's dead. Now that it serves no purpose. (laughs) Yeah, for real. And interestingly, that's also of note, like in this story, is that there were animals that came and wept at her coffin as well. So all of these Mm. animals that also thought she was so sweet and so wonderful and so beautiful that they would come and weep for this poor little girl. If we knew you were going to die anyway, we wouldn't have spared you as you were walking through the woods. We would have just eaten you then. Yeah. What a waste. Then they could have gained her beauty. (laughs) No. (laughs) And it'd be quite a different story. And they noted in this story that there was an owl, then a raven, and finally a dove that came to sit by her. There are a couple different interpretations of like what the owl, the raven, and the dove were. Mm-hmm. Ravens, black. Uh, doves, doves white. white. Owls. Brown or white or gray. <laughs> not, not red. So there's also, so the one that makes... The most sense to me, because also um, there's pointed out like the religious significance in Christianity of doves um, Mm -hmm. and then also ravens, but less so owls. And so that one's like left out. The one, the the theory that makes the most sense to me is one that we see in um, Vasilisa, the beautiful, where you have Mm -hmm. these like three knights that go by that are red, white, and red that represent mourning day and Uh, evening and so it's like the owl nighttime the dove is morning like sunrise Mm -hmm. and then the raven is the day yeah that makes sense but it's interesting just because like those three are named and there's several different interpretations and that's the only sentence like that is there because people are also like could it somehow represent like the trinity because the dove is like the holy spirit yeah but the owl and the raven don't match up with any like iconography for like the christian god and jesus like so it's not the trinity but anyway odin's ravens yes that's what i was thinking i was like odin's ravens and athena's owls (sighs) but i'm like that That's quite a mix of religious mythology birds. That would be pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, moving on. Snow White, she lay there in the coffin for many, many years and did not decay. And this is where I think it's important to remember that Jean-Baptiste Basile was a major inspiration for the Brothers Grimm. And that inside of that Snow White tale that is found inside of the Tale of Tales, the seven-year-old child died young. And then the coffins in the room that she was in grew with her in size. Like she, Mm -hmm. this little girl was put inside seven coffins. And then they would, as she got older, the coffins, I guess, would disappear, the smaller ones. And then she'd be fitted to the new one. The magic is unclear to me. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me is this one. It's like she didn't appear to decay at all. And she got older. But it doesn't say that she aged up. But she was in there for many, many years. Right. So, like, it, it is unclear. Some people say, oh, she was still a seven-year-old, so that makes it creepy. I feel like what makes it creepy is that mentally she's a seven-year-old, but, mm-hmm. like, she's probably older. Yeah. 
And so she looks like an adult, but the last time she was awake was when she was seven. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no matter how you uh, slice that, if you think about it in any kind of real world terms, it's terrifying. Yep. So don't think of it in real world terms. Think of it in magical world terms. Yeah. So, and here in this story, I'm going to briefly interject with a separate version that was also at the Brothers Grimm's disposal that they decided not to use. Because I do think that it's very interesting what they had and decided not to use, like decided to like kick out. So in another version, around this time after years and years, Snow White's father happened by chance to enter the forest where the seven dwarves dwelled. And he discovered this coffin at the top of the mountain and he read the inscription, Princess Snow White, and he knew that this was his daughter who had been missing for years and years. And he was deeply saddened to see that she had died. And so what he decided to do was call an entourage of experienced doctors to try to revive her in unconventional ways. And one of those unconventional ways is that they tied ropes to Snow White Seven ropes to Snow White. I'm imagining like one on each leg, one on each arm. And they pulled on her. Oh my gosh. And she came back to life. Ow! And so in that version of the story, like the father is the one that finds his daughter and comes and is able to revive her. Mm -hmm. And then he finds her a husband to marry and his evil wife is killed at the wedding, which that's, listen, If don't do that kind of stuff at the wedding. Yeah. Save it for the next day. I mean, wait for them to be on their honeymoon and then like, you know, yeah. have a separate party to do the murder or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Not this. But anyway, so that was a version of this story that they decided not to incorporate. Instead, like the father is basically completely absent mm -hmm. from the majority of this story. So going back we're we're now now we're putting her back in the coffin. <laughs> She's go, going back to being dead. So one day a prince came into the forest and he found the dwarves' cottage and he was tired and he decided to spend a night there. And I guess I don't know where the rest of the dwarves were. They never came home that night. Hmm. But yeah, it says he spent the night in in their cottage and then he went to the mountain and as he was passing by he saw this transparent glass coffin with the gold words princess snow white inscribed on the outside and he said to the dwarves let me have the coffin and i'll pay you whatever you want mm. which this reminds me of another one of the stories that we read where a guy was like oh he the the coffin wasn't transparent mm -hmm. it was like gold in the other story yeah, it was like gold and he wanted it. Yeah. And then he opened it up being like, oh, I wonder what's in here. Um, And it was like, what do you think is in a coffin, buddy? But in this one, the guy knew perfectly what was inside. And he was like, oh, wow, let me have the coffin. I'll pay you whatever you want. And the dwarves were like, we wouldn't get like, we wouldn't give her up for all of the gold in the world. And then he says, weirdly, well, then give it to me as a gift. <laughs> because I. After seeing this beautiful woman, I can't go another day without seeing her. I promise that I will take such good care of her if you give her to me. And the dwarves were moved by his passion. And they were like, you know what? We will give you this coffin. Mm. Because he had promised that he would take such good care of her and honor her for like the rest of 
his life. And so the prince quickly ordered his servants to lift the coffin onto their shoulders and carry her down the mountains and back to his kingdom. And they started to walk, but soon stumbled over some shrubs. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And they dropped the coffin. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I should be laughing. No. This is some farcical stuff going on here. Especially after he's like, I'll take such good care. (laughs) 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 Shatters. Her corpse goes rolling down the side of the mountain. (laughs) The dwarves look on, slack-jawed and horrified. (laughs) (sighs) You joke, but it's what happened. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So they stumbled over these shrubs. The jolt made them lose their grasp (laughs) on the coffin. (laughs) And... They dropped Snow White. <laughs> and her being jostled and jolted dislodged the Ugh. poison apple from her throat. And once it was once it fell out of her mouth, mm. her eyes opened back up and she lifted up the lid of the coffin and was alive again. And she said, Oh Lord, where am I? <laughs> And I'm just like thinking of like how much people think of like like oh and then he leaned over and he kissed her. I'm like, nah, man. <laughs> His butterfingered uh, <laughs> groomsmen <laughs> drop her coffin and accidentally <laughs> heimlich <laughs> accidentally heimlich the poison apple piece out of her throat. <laughs> Immediately upon her popping out of this dropped coffin, <laughs> the prince. Rejoice and exclaimed, You are with me, and I love you more than anything else in the world. Come with me to my father's castle, and you will be my wife. Which, again, this girl fell asleep when she was seven. I mean, give it a minute. Uh But Snow White could tell that he was a sincere and kind person. (laughs) I just, she just got dropped (laughs) down like a mountain. I'm just like, this is hilarious. Okay, so she went with him. And their wedding was celebrated with great pomp and splendor. And Snow White's stepmother was invited to the wedding. She had heard that this prince in this neighboring town, you know, was like this neighboring kingdom was getting married. And, you know, so she was getting dressed up and in her best clothes for this wedding. So she wanted to make sure you know, before she left that she got a good look at herself in the mirror and double checked to make sure that, you know, nobody at this party was going to be hotter than her. (laughs) And so she looks in the mirror and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this realm is the fairest of all? And the mirror looked at her and replied, you, my queen may have a beauty quite rare, but snow white is a thousand times more fair. And hearing this, the evil queen uttered a loud curse. And it said that she became terribly afraid and didn't know what to do. And at first she thought, maybe I shouldn't go to this wedding. Ma'am, follow that instinct. Do you know who, you know, listen, do you know who shouldn't show up at a wedding? Someone who has attempted to murder one of the, you know, people getting married. Yeah. That is like in every Miss Manners rule book I've ever read. Yeah. If you have ever tried to murder either the bride or the groom, some people include like bridesmaids and groomsmen. Yeah, I wouldn't. Like the the bridal party, there's so many of them that chances are yeah. good that you may have tried to murder one of them. 
And yeah. it's like no one's really paying attention to them either. It's not their day. Like, But anyway, this queen decided, you know what? I, I don't think I can calm myself down until I can see and verify for myself that it actually is Snow White. Her mirror has never lied to her. I don't know why she was like, you know what? Believe, but verify. No, no. she was like, disbelieve and verify. <laughs> Bad instinct, I'll tell you what. Because when she entered the hall, she did immediately recognize Snow White, who I'm hoping didn't look seven years old. I hope she like uh, just looked so beautiful, so much like herself when she was alive, but grown up. Yeah. I keep hoping, you know, she definitely doesn't look seven. That's what I'm hoping for this, this person. I'm with you on that. So when the evil queen saw Snow White and recognized her, she became petrified with fright and couldn't move. And she was quickly seized and iron slippers that had been heated over a fire were brought to her with tongs placed on her feet. And she danced for everyone until she fell down dead. Oh, my gosh. That is the worst wedding (laughs) idea. Yeah. If anybody is going to have the first dance, I say (laughs) (laughs) the couple, right? Yeah. Not the attempted murderer of the bride. Yeah. The the three-time attempted murderer. It seems like a, it seems like a a better activity for a different day. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. (laughs) But you know, it was a different time (laughs) where we didn't judge their, their wedding customs, you know? That's true. And we do. We try not to be too harsh on people people's cultures. Yeah. So I'll just say, you know, maybe right for them. Not right for me. <laughs> yeah. But it's not my wedding. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, and that's how we end the series. <laughs> it's not my wedding. Is that the end of the story? And that is the end of the story, is the ultimate punishment of this evil queen. Yeah. Which sometimes the endings are are very sad. And so instead of like, they're not like how I, you know, would imagine. Them right. To be. And, but it's like, but her, di- like her falling down dead. And it's not like, and the Snow White and the Prince lived happily ever after. It's just like, she died. She's, she fell down dead. Yeah. And that's it. Qu- quote, dance until she fell down dead. The end. So let's give, let's, let's quickly, we don't normally do this, but let's quickly give it a better <laughs> end. They waited until the next day to put... The iron slippers on the queen, and she danced until she fell down dead, while the happy couple was off in Majorca having a splendid time on the beach. And I left them there. <laughs> Beautiful. Which was a callback to a different story. Here's something that I think that is interesting. If you go back to the start of the story that starts with the mother making yeah. this wish, and then you don't kill off the mother, you let it be the mother the entire time, it kind of makes sense to end it with her death because she's kind of Mm. the main character of the story Mm -hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? Like she's the one going on a journey. Snow White is just like (laughs) trying and failing (laughs) to stay alive, you know? Yeah. The, The point you are making is very astute because a lot of people have pointed out that in this story... This like like this version especially, but other versions as well. The character of Snow White is more flat, and mm-hmm. the the person who is like the most active, the most going out for their destiny, the most like trying, you know, to do something, yeah. is the queen. Yeah, and and if you look at it of a story of aging, 
it very much is a story about the mother, the queen, the person who up until that moment, you know, sitting sitting in front of that window, looking out at the snow, thinking about her future, thinking, you know, in the abstract about being a mother, but not really knowing what it's like to like be a mother. Mm -hmm. She's on that threshold between maiden and mother. Yeah. And as she moves into that role, she might very much appreciate that role and, and love that role for herself or more sinisterly, she hates it. Yeah. Which that, that can also definitely happen. Not just because of, you know, things like like postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis or anything like that. But you might become a parent and realize how difficult it is, how much of your youth you didn't appreciate because youth is wasted on the young. Mm -hmm. And as you're looking at somebody younger who is moving into maidenhood as you're moving into a crone. Mm -hmm. If you're not appreciating those changes, those cycles of life, instead you're upset about them, you're angry about them. Yeah. Like this story is very much about like those changes in time and like those cycles. And you end the story with, you know, the queen obviously being punished for the wrongdoing that she did. But now you also are leaving Snow White on that threshold of maiden to mother. Yeah. Because she's getting married. She's at her wedding. Pretty soon, she will be entering on that same journey of going through life. But she doesn't have to take the same path that her mother took. Like, she like she doesn't have to hate the cycle through it. She could appreciate it. That's also, you know, a possibility. Yeah. And so... Like the mirror is a symbol of vanity, but also the mirror is a symbol of watching yourself age. Yeah. Going through that. And so, yeah, no, I feel like very astute of you to say, it feels like this story is more about the mother. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense to begin it with the mother and end it with her death. So I hope everybody has enjoyed the series that we've done this year. It has been super, super fun, super enlightening. And it's incredible for me, you know, to think of not just our year beginning with like the apple of discord, but some of these motifs that we are seeing echoes of through these stories that we still have today, realizing that the journey that this story took is thousands of years old, that the story that we have today is thousands of years in the making to be what we have today. And it's like we started off with this golden apple being thrown into the middle of these ladies with just for the most beautiful one or to the fairest one, you know, written on it. And this little story motif part has traveled through time and through space, like around the globe, through the imaginations of thousands and millions and billions of people to what it is today. This story is not done changing. It's not done being a vehicle for modern day cultural messages. And on this podcast, I just want to keep reiterating to people, these stories are meant to be changed. They are meant to carry cultural meaning from thousands of years ago, but also to be dynamic and constantly shifting and changing meaning 
and being vehicles for modern day cultural messages. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating that at no point are we ever going to have the final word on Snow White. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar It is a tiara. It's a jewel. We have a tiara. And it's it's we're going to and the place that it's gonna be it's it's <laughs> on a place on our on maybe a head of some sort, but it's a jewel shining on this uh, this it's a crown. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and I stand by it. <laughs>